0: Hello and welcome, my name is Liz Gleason and you're listening to Shapes of Grief. Shapes of Grief is a curation of stories from international guests who share their unique experience of grief. These stories are shared with the wish that you, the listener, may find some comfort, hope and solidarity, and maybe also the realization that you're not alone in your grief. Each time you listen, please do support the podcast by donating on the website shapesofgrief.com or by becoming a patron on patreon.com It's a privilege to hold these conversations and I extend my deepest gratitude to all my guests for showing up in this particular way. It truly is a gift. Welcome to Shapes of Grief listeners. I'm joined today by Dee otherwise known uh, on social media as the Adventures of Grief Girl. And Dee is joining me from New Mexico in the United States. Dee, you're really, really welcome.
1: Greetings. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out.
0: Uh, Well, Dee is a mom, uh, like many people on the podcast, and is also an artist. And in the last seven years... Dee has dedicated a lot of her art to creating art installations about grief and Mm -hmm. different ways of showing grief and expressing grief. What was the loss that you endured, Dee, that led you to bring your art uh, in this direction?
1: Well, (laughs) I think that there, I think my life just kind of led me here, but, Once I started this project, I started this project about four years after, no, three years after my daughter died in 2013. Um, I've always been an artist. So I've always kind of just made either uh, visual products or written or photography and things like that. And the idea that I could talk about my grief any way that I wanted to kind of led me to start the adventures so
0: so back to 2013 d and your world stopped I mean I I acknowledge you've said your whole life was building towards this moment and I definitely want to go back to earlier (laughs) oh yes (laughs) Um, but in in this immediate time 2013 Mm -hmm. your little girl Phoebe who was four years old died in her sleep. Yep. Um, Phoebe had a condition would you tell me a bit about that condition Dean?
1: Sure Um, she had recombinant eight which is a rare disorder that affects the heart, the kidneys, um, fine motor, gross motor uh, it, she was also born deaf, and so we had to learn sign language to communicate with her, and that was also an adventure. Like you, you know, she was one of my greatest adventures, honestly. And she taught me just so much about life while she was alive, and and now her teachings are a little bit different. So, you know, having having that impact, I think was the he- heaviest of all the impacts that I've ever had. Yeah.
0: You said, Dee, that Phoebe, or you told me before I started recording, mm-hmm. that Phoebe had been born deaf, had some physical limitations, was born with a cleft palate and a hole in her heart. And while she had all of these um, different things that came with bearing the recumbulant eight gene, you did not expect her to die. This was right. expected.
1: Right. I, we did not expect her to die. We were in care. We were doing everything that we were supposed to be doing to keep her alive. And so, you know, we, um, countless appointments, countless providers, specialists, um, surgeons and behavioral specialists and occupational therapists. I mean, we had a full team of people taking care of this really cool little girl and she was so supported so um, I mean you know there was no there was no thought for me that oh she's going she's really going to die it's I'm doing everything I can do to keep her alive and so um I knew that it was a possibility but also I knew that we were doing everything we we could do That just happens.
0: She was out there. She was going to school. She was a happy little girl. You said she brought so much joy to your lives. Mm -hmm. And and, and she died in her sleep one night.
1: Yeah. She um, was incredible with how she related to the world. She was deaf, yes, but she had sign language. And she was willing to teach other people sign language so that she could talk to them. And she would make fun of them in her way. And she would just be generous and and kind with her time and her patience and her love. And she touched so many people, but also opened the door for us to a community that we wouldn't have otherwise been in. And these people today to this day are like family to us. And so, you know, they celebrate her like I celebrate her maybe they don't do it every year or whatever but whenever I celebrate her they they will also remember with us and so that says a lot to me but she really touched them too
0: because did she ever ever take advantage of knowing that other people couldn't speak sign language to say a few little things about them or
1: (laughs) no she she really knew because of having a hearing family and then have, having to be in those two worlds, you know, um, I knew sign language and her dad learned and then her brother also learned. And, um, you know, they don't sign as much anymore, but I still use my skills. And so it's it's like, she knew that I would know if she was doing that. And so she didn't really... She didn't really do that too much unless she had a little opinion about something. So
0: that's one way you're able to maintain the bond with her is through Mm -hmm. other people, Mm -hmm. her language.
1: Absolutely, it's just the way that I can take her everywhere that I go and and use the information that I have from her life to include people that you know are are not included often.
0: And say something more about that Dee, because you alluded to it earlier when you said that working with grief was something that really had been coming for a long time in your life, even before Phoebe was born,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and
0: even before Phoebe died. That mm-hmm. something you knew something of.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, so I, I've had, so many instances: from my aunt, uh, from my aunt committing suicide; from my stepfather getting suddenly ill and dying a few months later, just suddenly out of out of the blue. Watching my mother deal with grief, um, and then later becoming estranged from my mother, and then, you know, now my father dying, and then my grandfather dying, and y- you know,
0: father died just last year, January fourth, twenty twenty.
1: Yes, my, my father died uh, on the 4th of 2020 and his father died three days before I gave birth to my son so I couldn't go to his funeral and he was one of my favorite people. And so it, it just, on we go.
0: Yeah, so that's a lot of loss and I'm mm-hmm. curious about your relationship with your mother Dee and the estrangement because that is such a profound loss. And it's also a disenfranchised loss. It's one that's not recognized by society. And when we have a falling out either with a family member or indeed a friend, these Uh are hugely significant losses that aren't marked, noticed, supported, validated.
1: They really aren't. And in fact, (laughs) people will assume that you're going to forgive the person depending on the circumstance. And then they, because again, we, we we're at the impact where it doesn't affect anybody outside of the people who were directly involved. And so it's easier to sweep things under the rug. It's easier to say, well, I have a great relationship with my mother and their family and you must talk to your mother. And so, you know, the grief of that, that is very heavy and it's very devastating because She is my mother and boy, do I need my mother, (laughs) you know, with the things that I'm going through.
0: It's a hard one to have people understand and it's a disenfranchised loss. So you've had one thing after the other for the last few years. Oh yeah. You also said to me um, before we were recording that Phoebe's death nearly broke up your marriage as well. Absolutely. Which can happen when a child dies in a house because grief is so individual and so profound and people don't understand each other and you know you're so caught up looking after your own little corner of the world because it feels like it's falling apart that often we can't show up for each other and that can be another really profound loss in the whole Mm -hmm. grieving process yes i am grieving profound loss can rock our inner world It's confusing, life-altering, and often scary. You've probably already figured out that there are no stages of grief. But are there other models, theories, tools, or practices that can help us to navigate the grieving process? To learn more, visit shapesofgrief.com. As Liz says, the more people who are grief-trained, the more supportive and compassionate our society will be. And that will make life so much better for anyone coping with loss and grief. Now, let's get you back to the podcast. And my partner isn't there beside me because they're in their corner of grief.
1: Yes. Be willing to... and Oh, absolutely. And they feel the same way. Like, my partner is not here for me because the experience is not the same. Even though we're experiencing the same loss, they, like, this is a loss that we share. Um, he does not share all of my other losses. And I don't share all of his other loss and all of his trauma. And what's tricky about that is even getting a man to realize that they have been traumatized and they behave in a certain way because of that trauma. That's a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> because I, And I get it because I don't want to have things wrong with me. And I'm not necessarily saying these are things that are wrong with you. It's you, some things you maybe want to pay attention to because of how it's affecting what we're doing right now, which is, you know, trying to keep our family together. And so, you know, and, and like, I know that my outbursts really affect everybody in the house. And I know that. So I try to work on that (laughs) and I try to, you, you know, that's my work that's my work to work on. It's not everybody else's work.
0: Yeah, and even the person who withdraws in the house has an effect on everybody else as well. Right, so
1: it was a lot of, he wasn't talking about his grief out loud. It wasn't, you, you know, and it was just part of his upbringing and what he was taught that is the proper emotional response to everything
0: it's so vital and it's also grieving styles right whether mm-hmm. you're an intuitive griever which is mostly emotional or an mm-hmm. instrumental gr- griever which is usually fix it
2: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the
0: instrumental grievers do not understand the intuitive grievers <laughs> and <the> intuitive <laughs> grievers do not understand the instrumental grievers <laughs> cause war right
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's exactly, then that's exactly it. And, and you have to know that. And I don't mean like, guess at it, you have to know it. And that has to be the thought that you reach for before you respond. I know (laughs) that there is something very different about what we're doing. How can we show up for each other? So like, we can't, We can't grab onto that blame. Blame the spouse for this. Blame the other spouse for that. We cannot reach for that because I can make a whole list of things that I'm disgruntled about, but they're nothing. They're nothing. They're nothing in comparison in the grand scheme of things. It's nothing. And And, I
0: think, you know, when, when a child dies and the pain is so profound, the grief is so profound, it's so much easier to be angry with your husband or your wife than it is to feel the pain of the loss. Absolutely. Curiously, there, Dee. What have you? Yes,
1: <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> because that's that's it. It's nobody wants to be in that much pain all by themselves. And that's what it is. You're in that much pain all by yourself. And really nobody knows how to fix that because it's never not going to be a thing. It is concrete. It's, it's not, I lost my job and the pain of that will go away. I'll get a new job. I might be happier at this new job. It's not the same thing. And because death is very concrete death of the flesh is so concrete (laughs) it's so concrete and that I think is the hard thing for people to grasp is that this is a concrete pain this is this is not a pain that's going to be different when I get a new job when I'm distracted from you know whatever it is I'm doing
0: or have a new baby
1: or have a new baby oh you have out? a new baby you have new problems <laughs> <laughs> you have new problems on top of old problems and so you know it's talk it's, about that
0: a little bit Dee. what 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 sort of things you heard when you had your third child um who was born after phoebe died right
1: mm-hmm. and in true and truly she's my fourth Uh, prior to having Phoebe we had a loss um, a year and a half before Um, so we would have four children and so even having Phoebe was an event because I was devastated devastated when I say I was devastated I mean like I, I could have been a year straight that I didn't talk to anyone and then Phoebe came along and then you know the events went along as they did, but this last one, Stella Bell, she's, (laughs) she was also an adventure, and um, she would have probably been a thing whether we had, we had had, had Phoebe die or not, Um, so it, the. It was never about her being a replacement or this child being a replacement uh, for her sister. So I heard a lot of comments commentary about, um, you know, oh, you'll feel better because look, you look what you did—you have another baby—and you know—and and, and that's—I don't get that. I, that is the craziest thing because you don't replace people. You just you don't. Each person has a significant effect like and it's it's theirs and it's not about replacement it's not about here you have this baby now you can stop hurting about the one that you lost because you have another one There
0: will never be another phoebe
1: there will never be another phoebe there will never be another pierce or another stella belt there will never be another and you know the grief of I didn't want her to be seen as the replacement either. The grief of I really was like, oh my God, you know, in the back of my mind, I hope it's a boy because I know the things that people tend to say about girls. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh my God, you know. And what they do think I do? Of things, uh, and and inevitably they came. Oh, you know, inevitably inevitably it was the commentary about you have a, you have a boy and a girl now, and, you know, things are great. And, um, I had everything that was specific to Phoebe for me, it like her, the choices that she made about her, <laughs> about her per- preferences um all of those things I don't I don't forget those things and so in my mind I'm like oh I hope she doesn't choose that I don't want her to don't do that because it's not you're not a replacement and so it all stemmed from that that commentary that was you know alluding to that I could be happy now because it was you know you got
0: your girl girl. yeah you got
1: your girl yeah so sensitive Yeah. And that in and of itself is is so hurtful. It's so hurtful. And it's one of the very subtle hurts though, because, you know, when she grows up, is there going to be a time that she's angry with me about, you know, having, I have to live in my sister's shadow, which, you know, you all weren't the same person. So it's not, and I guarantee you, if you had died, I would have, you know, been feeling the same things and doing the same things. It's not different. This is not different.
0: You were always going to be born. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you were always gonna be born. And so like, Mm -hmm. you know. mm.
0: I was going to ask you, you know, we talked earlier about your relationship after Phoebe died. Oh yes. Which mirrors the experience of so many people. How Mm -hmm. do you find each other again? What do you think was the thing? Was it active work to reconnect, or do you feel that
1: time just eased it? No, it, it time itself <laughs> did not ease anything. <laughs> we have had a lot of support from our friends, and we have had um, some amazing uh, people who have come into our lives who are doing um, relationship work. So there were, uh, relationship coaches and I'm very big on the self-help thing. So I have always, you know, believed in being able to find the tools and being able to, you know, try them out and use them and decide whether, Oh, is this really what we're doing? You, You know, the, um, Habitual things that we're doing and grabbing onto as our first reaction, is that really conducive to what we're trying to build with each other? So it took us really sitting down together and deciding, and like deciding, is this something we really want to continue doing? It was super hard to say that because we both, I think, felt like we were letting somebody down. But I was also knowing and, and I knew that I was in a place where I couldn't do anymore. Like my body was just exhausted in just my you body. Felt,
0: or you felt you were letting him down and he felt he was letting you down. Right. So we questioned each other, is this something we want to continue?
1: Right. Okay. Because I couldn't I couldn't show up in the ways of like I the wifely Things. It was like, I, I my, just my, saying. my whole body, like my whole body was feeling this and in either repressing or detoxing or, 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 you, you know, whatever it's doing, healing, basically. Um, my body is just making decisions on like, I, <laughs> I'm either going to fall apart mentally or bodily, but I know that it's happening or it's or it was going to be both so if we didn't find some answers about what we were doing with our relationship I knew that I was actually just going to go ahead and go crazy and call it a day because and, there was not much else I could do
0: and and just to name it because I don't think we've ever talked about sex on the podcast when you mm-hmm. two grieving parents sex mm-hmm. can be an impossibility
1: it affects because grief affects everything grief affects your libido grief affects your mental state it it affects everything and then that's on top of the the culture that women are just for sex for their husbands and like if they're not showing up then hey that's they're less of a woman and like it's hard to separate yourself from those uh thoughts and ideals when you were Culturally immersed in them your whole life, so so it's like I can't, I can't hold this anymore. I can't do this. I can't. I, I, I am no longer in a place where I can give give and give and give and give and give with zero return. Like I was not feeling good, you know. Like I too would like to enjoy my body. I too would like to enjoy. You even so it was not necessarily something he was doing. It was just that my body needs time to recover from a having four children. B, um, all of the stress and and internal things that are being released. (laughs) I I need to recover. Like my mind's tired. Like it's hard to feel sexy when you can't even you know you you don't even know what sexy even looks like or feels like anymore.
0: Read a book. Never mind. Pull that out. Yeah.
1: And exactly, I don't have time to just be a woman and just be by myself. I'm here with these children all the time, all the time.
0: And people need you, needing parts of you and you're mm -hmm. needing parts of you. Um, And then somebody else coming in and wanting yet another part of you.
1: That that part where I never even get to replenish any of the other parts. I just never get to replenish. And so it's like, we're running on empty and we're using, we're scraping the bottle of the the can now, and there's not anything really left in there for me or for you, and it's not anybody's fault. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm saying I need time. I need space. I need this, and I I needed to be able to say those things without feeling like other person wasn't giving but it was this is not something you can do for me you can't do this part for me and don't feel inadequate because it's not you (laughs) it's not you it's not about you and don't make it about you and so like it's I feel inadequate too
0: you said it wasn't time that brought you together but it was Uh you know looking at each other in the reality of you'd lost phoebe's death your grief how it was affecting every part of your lives Mm -hmm. and making a conscious decision let's try and reconnect let's try and meet each other so in this
1: um and through so through a relationship coach we um that i randomly met (laughs)
0: um
1: who is amazing by the way um she was doing some really beautiful work with relationships and so we committed to doing that kind of work and we are still doing that kind of work and we will go more into that when we start the podcast about you know we'll do a series about you know marital relationship after loss and it's difficult because you have to keep showing up because those issues just don't lay down and go away
0: it's, and it's, it's not a question of just waiting and hoping it's being mm-hmm.
1: active and Right. Because resentment it. is a thing. Resentment is a thing. And if you never say or acknowledge that something needs to change and are able to name the thing that needs to change, you still know, even if you don't say anything, you still know it and it still builds up. And we know what happens when we suppress our emotions about a certain thing, whether it's, you know, something benign or or something very serious. And like men don't have the space to say uh, a lot of things because it's not macho or it's perceived as weak. And so there was a lot of that going on. And then I felt like I'm gonna hurt this guy's feelings if I say everything that I'm thinking. <laughs> if I say everything that I'm thinking, he's going to think that it's all him, which I wasn't wrong about that. And so, but I had to say them anyway, because what I also knew is that it was going to bother me. I am i can't take this to the grave because it's going to be an early one. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, it was literally eating me up inside.
0: So you've survived it both and you've gone on to have another child who I just met
1: actually we did a lot of this work after we had that child so <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: I want to ask you Dean we, we
0: spoke briefly about this again before we were recording grieving as a black woman is different oh yes grieving as a white woman
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Would, you, would you fill in the blanks here for our listeners um about what that means because it is so true that you know grief can be cumulative mm-hmm. how we grieve can depend on other losses we've had in our lives other things that we've gone through and we know that the black community have a disproportionate amount of loss oh uh, compared <laughs> to the white community so what are your thoughts around that Dee?
1: well I, I absolutely know that I have a lot of compound grief. And so as we talked about, you know, there's been, and even more than I've said, so just knowing that and, and knowing my counterparts, you know, I know what I'm grieving, and they own, they know what they're grieving, and then, you know, their grief gets a lot of attention, it's a lot of support, and it's support in ways um, they're available, but when I go to look for support, and I'm looking for those Black faces, I very rarely see them.
0: So, when you say so, your counterparts, do you mean your white counterparts?
1: Yes, yes, I do, um, and... It it looks to me like it, it's the care is available for for you know those who can relate to the white faces all every, and and we're not always talking about the same type of grief and like that space to say well you know I'm I'm a black woman and I'm grieving this 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 and this and you know it's taken seriously and we are just listened to and held and supported and there are other Uh, speakers that are of color and there are other you, you know there's the care that is available and folks who can really relate to the types of grief and the generational traumas and the you know if you don't have a trauma that is similar to somebody else's even though you have a trauma you're still not as informed as this other person and you cannot relate on these levels and you may think oh well this shouldn't be that difficult because you can try to rationalize it but who who, who does that <laughs> who who does that and so
0: yeah, like when you talk about your white counterpart would this be like at a grief group for example that might well, be mostly white women or mm-hmm. Where do you mean? Give us more information. I really want to understand. So in
1: in online groups, in in-person groups, in you know, there was a grief facility. There's still a grief facility here in our town. Um, you know, just the lack of diversity is very blatant. The lack of um, informed providers. Uh, we were told that my son couldn't come back to the group session because he didn't want to follow what they were doing there and while we were there I saw at least two other children who didn't want to do
0: is this a grief group yeah (laughs) couldn't come back
1: Mm -hmm. oh he's too young and I'm like all right cool but you know this is supposed to be a grief group. And so this also led me to be more informed about grieving and more informed about how to coach others and to go and educate myself so that I could fill in that gap.
0: Yeah, that's awful that that happened. You know. There's a woman, uh, I don't know if you've heard of her, Lindsay Quistle-Fenton um, from Speaking Grief. Mm-hmm. about this woman, Dr. Tichelle Bordera. And I've emailed her. I'm hoping to speak with her But she talks about exactly what you're describing there with your Sunday. She's coined a phrase called suffocated grief. Mm -hmm. She's noticed this in black communities and she will say it so much better than I do. Actually, there's a video where she talks about it on speakinggrief.org. Okay. Anybody listening, listen to her. But in case you can't, I will try and do justice to what she's saying she noticed that in, in black communities where there was so much loss and grief that not only were the children not given the space to grieve, but they were also put down because of their grieving behavior. So we all know that children rarely will sit down and say, I'm sad, I really miss Phoebe. They will come up and tell you you're an asshole or say something inappropriate or they will <laughs> throw their dinner on the ground. I mean. That's how grief manifests in children a lot of the time. Um, and so Dr. Tachelle Bordero was seeing that children such as your son, for example, um, were being suffocated in their grief. Uh, so not only were they not being supported, but they were actually being punished for a lot of the behaviors that they were having while grieving.
1: But yes, what exactly what you're saying. Um it's that uh, kids in general too and are are suffocated in that way a lot of the times but in the black community like as as i grew up it was you know if it, you don't talk about it you just don't you just don't talk about it and you go on and you do what you have to do and I know you're sad and move on, move on, move on. Don't linger in that pain of whatever it is. Isn't that so,
0: expression of this is just the way it is. Let's
1: just it's get on. Just, it's just the way it is. And I find myself saying that um, a lot of times in my life, like recently, <laughs> it's just the way it is. And so the harm that we can do by saying that is is it's subtle but it's definitely there and um I felt really alienated just in general going to this facility because there were no black people there you know it's like we live in a town that you know we we are the minority here and so we don't have Uh, access to products for our hair we have to order them and you you know we just can't you the community's not large enough for a box store to carry what we need and that seems crazy but that's just the way it is (laughs) it's just the way it is here and so to go to a facility that's meant to help people I see them helping people there And I like, and to be told that the person that was facilitating couldn't manage helping my son who was three years old, that doesn't make any sense to me. And so while it may not have necessarily been about race, I still haven't seen a black face there. So, (laughs) you know, it's do you have is this what your facility does or is it not what your facility does
0: and if you can't accommodate that child in the group because he is too young find another way to accommodate him you know do and I, and and, you know
1: show up mm-hmm. well there were several three-year-olds there so <laughs> i mean it's either he, he, I don't know what it is. I'm not gonna say, oh, specifically, yes, it was just because he was black, but you know, this seems to happen far more often to us than the white people that I know. You yeah. know, all the support in the world is, is right there. And yeah. it's, do you have somebody that's informed of what we're about to be embarking on? Because again, it's generational trauma that we're working with here. It is not just you know, his sister died, it's, he's living with me, he's living with his father, I'm living with all the things that I've had to deal with in my lifetime, and reacting to whatever he's going through, with all of that nonsense going on, and so all of it is not conducive to healing, so it's like, we need to learn new tools, and these tools weren't available to my parents, because the (laughs) We didn't even have access to therapists. So, you know, here in this country, if you're working and you do have full coverage benefits and it does include behavioral health, we get 12 sessions. And then the 12 sessions runs out and then there are $150 a session. And then, (laughs) you know, It gets costly, and these are not things that are going to go away. So I'm probably going to need some some therapy.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And just feel
0: the isolation of you saying that there aren't a lot of other black people in your community. Mm -hmm. Just compounds it all as well. Mm -hmm. As Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find one other person who has the similar experience to you, because Mm -hmm. they have a similar background to you Mm -hmm. also. And 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 I know
1: that, yeah, when I go and say a thing, it's not going to be taken uh, out of context. I know that I'm going to be understood. I know that I'm not going to have to explain. I know that I'm not going to have to explain. I know that I'm not going to have to uh, look over my shoulder and think, or or do they think I'm crazy? (laughs) Because, you know, some very real... It's easy
0: to feel that way, Dee, because I think... I think grief already, you know the the few people I've met today have spoken about that feeling of going crazy and needing to meet someone else who had a similar experience for them to know that they're not going crazy or to feel you know, grateful to, to have their experience validated. Um, but it's like you need a double, doubly over. Um, not only it's not enough just to meet somebody. Um, whose child has died and who's gone through a similar experience to you. But for you, it's really important to meet that other person who's also lived through systemic racism for uh, the for their life. And, and has that behind them as well, generationally, because mm-hmm. it does affect like everything we go through in our life affects how we grieve. Yeah, the, the attachment styles we have, the relationships we have with our parents the friendships we've made, the losses we've encountered, the way we feel supported or not in society, all of this affects how we grieve. And um, I'm delighted that one of my podcast guests, Dr. Mikael Harris, who's Mm -hmm. a wonderful psychologist and she works a lot with children and grief. um, She's prepared a great lecture for my educational project entitled Black Grief. And she describes this really, really well, how as healthcare professionals, we need to hold the whole picture, not just this one incident, we need to hold the whole picture. Um, Even with LGBT grief, you know, I I did a, a lecture yesterday and it's, you know, when someone arrives in front of us and this thing has happened in their lives, I need to understand it in the context of everything before the context of the AIDS crisis. How many people did they lose? Is there survivor guilt? Did they lose their families at some stage where they ostracized? Did they have to like, certainly in Ireland, if you were gay before 1990, you emigrated. Life was not (laughs) worth living, staying in this country. You, or or you were thrown out if you didn't emigrate. Many people lost their families, their communities, their sense of self, their home. Um, So these are all the things that we need to take into account when someone in front of us has lost a same-sex partner. Yeah. Then equally, when somebody is Black, we need to take into account all of their life experience, the context in which they live in the world, the Mm traumas they've had, Mm -hmm. how how being Black has affected their experience of life, and then therefore their experience of death. Absolutely,
1: a as well. absolutely. A medical doctor will ask me what my history is before they work on me. That's just a question. <laughs> like they wanna know how many pregnancies have you had because this is gonna affect what's gonna happen next. So, you know, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to say, you know, and, and it's not an impossible request, but it, all, all of this is all tied together in the sense that, you know, uh, in the medical community, there are fewer black doctors in my area in the medical, like, you know, so I am, if I'm looking for a black doctor, if I'm looking for a black psychologist or, or even an art therapist or massage therapist for that matter, um, you know, on, on down the line, it's the availability, the access is very limited and it's always been limited. So before, uh, you know, my mom was able to go to a therapist. Her mother was not able to go to a therapist. So this is, recent in, this is recent history. This is not, <laughs> this is, when this you is say not 800 not, years ago.
0: When you say not able to go to a therapist, what pres- exactly do you? It, mean?
1: it means that it wasn't even an option. It was not an offer in the medical community. Hey, here's what to
0: access a therapist.
1: Yes. And so in the black community now, the advocacy is for black mental health. It's that it's okay to have to go to therapy. It's okay to say, I need help and get it. (laughs) You know, it's okay for black people to be doctors now because before that was not okay. (laughs) it was not okay and so all of these things in in retrospect are are working we're working towards that whole thing that you're saying about the disparity and the racism and the systemic oppression and it's in every aspect of our lives it's not just because in, in my black life just my black just being black it's not just that it's being a Black doctor, being a Black lawyer, being a Black president, being a Black anything, and each of those things and the access that we've had to becoming any of those things in the eyes of our country or in the eyes of the world for that matter. So they're all very much tied together. We can't just look at that little piece and say, well, it's not about, it's not because you're, you're Black. It's because you're not Black. That's, (laughs) <laughs> that's what it is it's because you're not black that you don't understand that
0: color blindness mm-hmm.
1: and so you you know i had a therapist here she was from south america which was you know i felt like okay i can connect a little bit and and she was really wonderful and and so you know there was there was that we i have to look for a connection not just a a clinical practitioner We're old. You know, we all yeah, yeah. I mean, we all do that's what we I, all I, really should be looking for you know, women want to find
0: another woman because it's like what's an older cisgendered white heterosexual male going to, to tell me, me about my, my me life if i'm a gay black you know it's not <laughs> right yeah you find someone who resonates with us and and i really yeah. get that i really yeah. get that. and yeah. i'm sorry that that's been so hard for you And that your family has struggled to even find grief support. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm not one of those people who just takes that one no as the end all be all to what I can have and what I can do. So, you know, I got on the line and and it was a decision like I'm going to I am going to support myself. And I'm going to find resources for myself that fit for me. And so I did. And it wasn't necessarily traditional therapy. And it wasn't, uh, I'm going to a psychologist's office every single day. Because, you know, at this point, I've been to a lot of psychologist's offices. And I'm good on that. I'm good on that. But I do know that people need that. And then they also need the thing that when the talking runs out, what do you do? And that's where my art came in for me. It's like, I still have these things that I need to express. You know, the talking does run out. And then that is, you, you, you either run out of money because you can't afford it uh, here in the States. It's like, again, 12 sessions a year. That's one session a month. And if we're not just dealing with one thing and, you know, that might be okay for some people who, you, they're not dealing with the death of a child um, or they're not dealing with a death in general because it's not just the death of a child that's destructive to a family either. Um, <clears throat> and so the expectations that we have surrounding grief in our societies, those need to be looked at and, and to be, you know, people need to be really honest about what the needs of pe- of the people really are and we can be more informed in in how we help each other and you know i'm not a psychologist so i'm not trying to psychology anybody i do want to see your art though (laughs) you know i i do want to see what you have to say about the pain that's in your heart or you know what you're going through mentally and like it's going to help somebody else it's going to affect their life and how they deal with the things that they deal with so you know,
0: and and we, the key point is, it's to find some way of expressing and processing your grief. For you, it was you know your art came. Your art was what helped you ultimately. For mm-hmm. others, it's their sports. For others, it's their swimming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's their writing. For others, it's therapy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever it is, and and I, as long as we have access to that, we can't we can't lose. <laughs> we can't like. We, we can't lose if we have access to the thing that makes us feel heard or seen or loved or comforted. And, and that's ultimately what, what, what people really want for, for bereaved people, but we don't trust enough in whatever their um, comfort might be. We don't trust that we can actually heal ourselves and we don't trust that and mm-hmm. and when I say heal I don't mean we're going to forget about it and it's never going to hurt again I mean it's not going to control us yeah because so many of us are ruled by our anger and our special needs surrounding certain things our expectations our our uh, need for control and, and all of those things so it, it's I think you know, If I'm able to trust myself, then I'm going to be okay. But if I feel unsteady, I don't feel like I'm going to be okay. I need for people to hear that. I need for people to understand that. And I need to, for people to actually listen to what I'm saying rather than assume that they know how to fix it. I know how to fix it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, And I want other people to know that they also know how to fix it not that they, and and not fix in the sense that, again, it's going to never be broken again or never be dealt with again. It's the ways in which we are able to have access to care for ourselves because we know best what comforts us. We know best what is going to get us to that next thing. And when we don't know, we have to be able to trust That people will listen to us and and there's a lot of times that you know everybody has their idea about what they think would be better and it's not necessarily better and it's
0: just about finding your own way in your own time Mm -hmm. other people and being waved at here by your little girl (laughs) maybe it's listening to other stories and and thinking, you know, that would never work for me. Or maybe I'll try that. But you mm-hmm. know, right? Ultimately, people find their own way, make their own meaning, and find their way to express and process their grief. And that's to be honored and applauded.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we don't do enough honoring and applauding, and we are so busy wanting people to be done with whatever they're dealing with. But you know, you—it's it, a case by case basis. It's a case by case basis. It's not every, one size fits all. I'm not dealing with what you're dealing with. I don't have answers for you specifically. Here's what I'm doing to help myself. And um, you're welcome to join me in doing it. It inspires you great. Yes. If it doesn't, hey, here, I have a whole lot of friends who do some really cool things, maybe one of them. <laughs> will we'll work for you yeah. but you know it's not that oh if you, you you know you just need to go to church or you I don't it's not about that a lot of the times you know and you know that's another cultural thing that happens here is that you know the lord's gonna fix it for me and I just need to make room for that it, but I wasn't raised in that so yeah that's not the band-aid that's gonna work
0: for research shows that people who have a faith tend to deal with their grief better because they have a ready-made meaning handing, handed to them they don't have to look and find their meaning um in a lot of cases mm-hmm. but Dee, it's been really nice to meet you finally oh, on instagram
2: it's <laughs> been lovely um,
0: thanks so much for sharing your experience and for telling me about Phoebe and um, just what it's been like for you I really mm. appreciate you showing up today
1: oh thank you for asking and and I appreciate this every every opportunity to talk for me is um, another day that I get to give something back so
0: great well I'm sure this will resonate with lots of people Dee so thank you and we'll talk again
1: yes please <laughs> thank you
0: thank you for listening to this episode of Shapes of Grief this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical or psychological advice and if your grief is making you unwell please do see your healthcare provider once again Please consider supporting the podcast by donating on shapesofgrief.com or becoming a patron on patreon.com. I rely on your support to keep going. The music is performed by Baca Beyond, especially for the Shapes of Grief podcast. Until the next time, from Miles Gleason, take really good care.